Welcome to Que Pasa HSIs, a podcast dedicated to everything Hispanic serving institutions. I'm your host, Dr. Gina Ann Garcia, bringing you the news on what's happening in HSIs. Join us as we explore the history and evolution of HSIs, culturally relevant and liberatory practices, current and emerging research with HSIs, and the policies that shape servingness. Saludos, HSI familia, and welcome back to the show. Today, we are talking to Vanessa Varela and Jason Myler. Vanessa is an assistant professor in education at Mount Mary University in Wisconsin, and Dr. Myler is an associate professor of Spanish at Mount Mary University. Thank you both for joining me on Que Pasa HSIs, where we talk about all things HSIs. But before we talk about HSIs, we love to hear about y'all. So let's go ahead and first hear about your higher education journey. Vanessa, if you want to start. Thank you. Thank you very much for the space. Well, um, I'm originally from Mexico. Um, so my experience in higher education started there. Um, I went to Universidad Nacional Autónoma de Mexico. And my bachelor's degree is in international relations. And um, I don't remember it was the first or the second year. We received an invitation from the University of Texas, El Paso, UTEP. Um, I think it was the Association of Bilingual Students who uh, organized a one-week seminar. And um, so because, you know, the area that I was studying was international relations, and I would say 80% of the curriculum was the relation between Mexico and the United States. <laughs> um, so I said, I think seems something interesting. So I was a really nice surprise. And it was my first contact with bilingualism and biculturalism, which was the topic. And it was very interesting to see this reality that we never received from the media. And that time we still used to hear Madonna and Michael Jackson, but we never care about this reality that was happening and developing in the border. Actually, I remember that you had a, a, a previous episode about the border, and I made so that connection with YouTube. Uh, so, well, that's, a, that's, a, that's part of my journey. <laughs> and then um, I also uh, started working in a research center in Mexico. Um, and I decided to pursue um, master's degree in education. Um, in that inter, a friend of mine told me that they were hiring bilingual teachers in Texas. I'm like, oh, I'm going to try to do it. So I became a ESL um, candidate <laughs> and started my journey as a student, as a ESL student. Uh, and now it was fantastic the experience to be um, an adult, a young adult working with the Latino community. Um, also, I, I forgot to tell you that another exper international experience that I have was uh, in Montreal. Uh, I studied um, a, a seminar um, in the University du Québec in Montreal. And my, ex my experience about bilingualism was also very interesting because they really merge two languages and you can feel the the the, the, the uh, a different reality and different environment that sometimes I would love to feel it in the United States. 
right? So that was also interesting. So when I moved to Wisconsin, uh, my my teaching license wasn't um, valid here. So I went to Marquette to pursue a master's degree in foreign language and literacy, literature, sorry. And then I pursued a master's in art and teaching to get my um, foreign language certification. And now I'm doing my PhD. Originally, I started doing my PhD in language and literacy. But unfortunately, the school I was studying closed because they didn't have enough undergraduate students. And most of those students were undocumented dreamers, um, bilingual students. So that's, that was very, uh, that was a trauma there uh, that we are still recovering. So now I, I'm back in market doing the PhD. So that's, um, that's, uh, my, my, my journey in education. And in the meantime, I was studying and working uh, as an adjunct and now as a professor. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank you. Jason, you want to jump in? Tell us about your higher ed journey. You bet. Thanks so so much uh, for the space and the time, Gina. This is really a blast. Um, I promise to be brief, but I need to start somewhere really interesting, which is um, my birth. So I was born in Bogota, Colombia. Um, and I was adopted as a baby. So my higher ed journey really starts there. You know, fast forward to growing up in Jersey, I had families and friends that were like, oh my God, you're, you're, you're darker skin. You're, you're, you don't look like your parents. And I'm like, yeah, well, I was born in Colombia. And I called somebody more about that. Do you speak Spanish? No, no, no. Hablo Espanol. And that that moment, like my teenage years, I'm like, well, this is part of my identity. I'm going to start learning about it. Um, I did my undergraduate at the University of Richmond in Virginia, and they pushed me to apply for a Fulbright. And so once I finished my undergraduate at Richmond, I got a Fulbright that sent me back to Columbia for the first time. And so embracing that, you know, that educational experience, the family, I couldn't find birth parents, but I got to the adoption agency and I'm like, oh my God, I need to need to know more and more and more. So it was at that moment while in Columbia that I think higher ed is the way for me. So I, I did my master's at the University of Arizona in Tucson. I finished up there in 2000. And then just, I don't know, this wanderlust I had uh, sent me to New York. And so I did my PhD at Stony Brook University, um, did my doctorate with Ramon de la Campa, who I believe is at UPenn now. And I believe even a colleague of yours at Pitt. Elizabeth Monasterios in Spanish and Portuguese. Um, she did great tutors and and really helped pull the best out of me in terms of Latin American, I guess, uh, literature and culture. But then there was always this like this, but but we're in the States and what's going on in the States? And so my PhD actually ended up being uh, about Latino, Latino imagery in performance art and uh, cultural studies. So that's kind of how I got uh, through my education. The first job of mine was at Marquette. Um, I was a tenure track uh, assistant professor, and I fought my tail off. And after a number of years, was denied tenure. When I was denied tenure, um, I didn't know where to go. Um, and it happened that Mount Mary, at just about the same time, something opened up for me here and quickly earned tenure. And ever since I've been embraced by this community at this university, it's been something special to serve both you know, um, Latina and not Latina students, non-Latina students, all different kind of uh, races, ethnicities, in knowing more about Latinidad and knowing more about what the Milwaukee community is about. So 
that's my higher ed journey. There's a lot of ups and downs, but you know, and on all it's, I'm looking forward to the future. Things are getting better here. And, and I enjoyed seeing that. Love it. Thank you for those beautiful stories, both beautiful stories, both very different stories. And the way the world brings us together is always beautiful too, right? Because now y'all here together working um, to advance servingness, which is what we're going to talk about um, with very different paths, right? To even to even get here. So I love hearing, hearing um, people's journeys. And I love when higher ed starts at birth. That's beautiful too. <laughs> so thank you for sharing that as well. So um, y'all didn't mention very much about HSI is maybe Vanessa, you mentioned UTEP. UTEP has been an, a Hispanic serving institution for quite some time. Um, other institutions y'all mentioned Marquette has been emerging for or striving really for quite some time. Um, y'all are obviously at an HSI now, um, which we'll get to. But tell me a little bit about your serving this journey then, which is different than your higher ed journey, right? How did you come to understand what Hispanic serving institutions are? Vanessa, if you want to go first. Yeah, thank you. Um, I would like to go one little step back. And um, I am an immigrant. Um, by the way, I have my naturalization certificate yesterday. So, <laughs> so. Congratulations. Uh, <laughs> Felicidades. We celebrate that. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Uh, so. The mission that I had when I moved here was become a bilingual teacher. And that put me right away in front of uh, um, 20 students um, from Central America, and not all of them from El Salvador or from Honduras, right? We have a, a variety of uh, students there. Uh, and three months later, um, I became to coordinate the parent school program, which was an initiative that they have to work with the parents. So in that sense, my commitment with the Latino community starts since I arrived to the United States. And uh, it's been a beautiful and um, interesting and challenging relationship. And, and that's what I, I feel so passionate about this topic. And one of the two characteristics of the bilingual teachers, dual language teachers, ESL teachers, world language teachers, is that our mission goes beyond teaching content. We teach language and we are advocators and we are leaders and we educate adults around this. So that's how I would say that that's why I feel that commitment with the community, because I was able to create rapport with the members of the community, the learning community and outside. So I think that's, that's, that's very important. Um, in my journey as a coordinator, as a adjunct, as a, um, working even with a white students, um, I realized that we need to develop pedagogies for people of color and particularly for girls of color, which is something that I really advocate. So there's uh, two, two writers, uh, Player and, and Ibarra, and they, they usually said that there is an urgency 
to promote pedagogies for girls of color. And I really believe it. And that's where I start my, my commitment. So arriving to Mount Mary University has been fantastic. Um, they told me that they want somebody to support the multilingual students. And that happened that they are females, only females, which is made like the double passion there. Yeah. And uh, and that's how I started now this adventure. Somebody told me, well, you need to support the students across the university. Okay, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> yes, thank you for that. You have just defined serving this as commitment to the Latino, Latine, Latinx community which I think is is amazing, right? Like uh, thinking about the theoretical ways I just described servingness, I've never said it as simple and straightforward as that, but that's exactly what you just said, right? Like that the servingness starts with commitment. You have to actually be committed to the to the community. So I, I appreciate that um, that way of conceptualizing it. So Jason, what about you? How's your servingness journey? Where are you at on your journey? Yeah, so it, it might also again that that journey starts early, right? So giving some context to that that Yamada, right? There's always the the language issue of Spanish English, and, you know, predominantly English speaking household. When I grew up, I realized that those who were Spanish speaking around me didn't have the access to the same things that I did, and so very simply, I'm like, well, there's there's something to be done there, and so you know, jump, fast forwarding a bit to to Marquette University. And you know, both Marquette and Mount Mary being Catholic were kind of weird because I'm I don't identify as Catholic or even religious for that matter. But what I see is this there's this mission that compels us to use our intelligence and our smarts for other people. And so I got really involved at Marquette with their service learning program. And here at Mount Mary, I kind of embraced that role of learning, not um, you know, we're not going into communities to teach other people we're learning from the community and i learn from my students and i think my servingness is always two-way it always goes back and forth to saying well what are you going to teach me today and then i'll teach you what i know let's go have an experience together you know that mount mary has a core course which i'd be mentioned earlier which is leadership for social justice and this is a first year seminar for young women who are coming into the institution i've taught it in english for a few years in the last year for the first time at HSI, I'm like clamoring. I'm like, we got to do this in Spanish. And they're like, okay, está bien. And so they let me teach the course in Spanish last year for the first time. And I have a, a very healthy enrollment for this upcoming fall where we're really starting, I think, as an institution. And I do say it's starting to recognize the power of our changing and evolving identity. And this institution's had that for you know a good hundred years that things change. Um, you know, the the population of our students has changed over time. And I think we're doing our best to address that. Maybe at an individual level sometimes, you know, I'm going to teach this course. And then other times there's across the board initiatives that we like to follow up on. But, you know, I found my footing in these institutions that are looking to serve others and to be serving the Hispanic community, like with my intellectual kind of you know, this is what this is what gets me going in the morning. And then also seeing my students coming from those populations where like you know, there's just such a broad reach of, you know, from Mexicans to Panamanians to Colombians to to the Buick West from New York. So you're like, let's let's embrace all this in its complexity. And I want to serve by both learning from the students and then I will serve them with what I know. 
So it's, it's a great journey and I, I love to be right in the middle of it. <laughs> that is a beautiful journey. And thank you for bringing in the Catholic piece. I've been um, writing about Catholic HSIs and that is where, uh, you know, the tension really is happening is like at our core as Catholic institutions, we were committed to service. We're committed to immigrant populations comes up a lot, right? Like historically um, we're committed to communities of color, right? Like how do we then make this also servingness, right? How do we make it Catholic and servingness with Latine, Spanish speaking, um, also people at the center. Um, so I'm glad you're, you're doing that work and thinking about it because I think that it has to be intentional still like it can't just happen um it doesn't just happen naturally uh just because you're a, a, a religious or a catholic institution but that there is some still intentionality right that goes into into becoming good servers um, as institutions I think uh so uh, so I'm excited I want to know more about Mount Mary University um one of three HSIs in Wisconsin so the listener to the listeners um yes there are Hispanic serving institutions in Wisconsin the Milwaukee area um, has right. a vibrant Latine population um and there is a growing number of of uh, HSIs in in Wisconsin so excited to hear um more about the things that y'all are doing y'all are now enrolling 30 percent Latine students, which is important. Um, so Jason, you're a member of the university's HSI council. Tell us a little bit more about, well, for one, tell us about anything you think we should know about the institution as an HSI, um, the council, and then how you're embracing your HSI identity. Right. Right. What a great question. And then, and it was, it was wonderful to kind of go back into some of the records I have about, the institution and I found a little nuggets of of information that I, I gotta share this because this is great context for how servingness has evolved um, at our institution. And the HSI Council, we call it now, and it might I might slip here because it was originally called the Latin the Latina Task Force, the Latinx Task Force. Before we got the Latine, we're like, okay, we're HSI now, so we should use HSI in, in the name of the, I guess, in the name of the committee getting together on campus. But I found from some records that the board of trustees of Mount Mary University recognized that the population we educate and serve was changing. And so I found here back in 2013, the board of trustees said, look, part of our strategic plan as an institution needs to evolve. And by 2015, the uh, university had set up that Latina task force that I mentioned. And I came to the institution in 2017. As soon as I came in, um, I was pulled on board to this really wonderful group of people at Mount Mary. The HSI council is so unique in that it brings together different contingencies at the university. So it's not just professors. It's not just students. It's professors. It's students. It's marketing. It's enrollment. It's student support staff. So while initially there might have been some, hey, look, we want to recruit students, it really quickly changed and evolved into, okay, there's recruitment, but there's serving. There's retention. There is you know, promoting students to get beyond just um, getting in the door. How are we going to keep them and graduate them? You know, the servingness journey ties into this too. Mount Mary is one of the leaders, not just in Wisconsin, but in the Midwest in social mobility. And when we learn this, like we shot it from the root, rooftops that students graduate from this institution, black, white, Latina, like it doesn't matter. They're 
social mobility changes. And that is such a game changer for, I think, institutions looking for models, looking for things to do. When you can say that we move you from this economic class to the one above it, that's meaningful change. And I, I think the HSI Council sees that. Uh, we also have um, a board of advisors, which is nice. So this, you know, serving this isn't just at the institutional level, it's in the community. We're bringing on, you know, Girl Scouts to Southeast Wisconsin. We brought in a lot of great Milwaukee um, organizations like Hispanic Professionals of Greater Milwaukee, um, Pro Hispanica. There's just lots of different contingencies we're looking to make connections with through this HSI Council we have at Mount Mary. On campus, we're leading the charge and we're talking with the vice presidents. We talk with the president of the institution. We initially started off again on that recruitment piece looking at, well, how do we reach the community? How do we better talk with our parents of the incoming students? How do we better advertise what we offer here at Mount Mary to the students? We go to the alumni and say, what, what messaging do we need to send? So this HSI council, um, we planned for, if I'm not mistaken, we planned to become an HSI in 2022. That was our mission statement. And bam, students started coming left and right. And we got official notification in 2020 that we were an HSI, even though iPads data told us in 2018 that you, you're you're headed in that direction. So the institution, thankfully, has been very supportive at an organizational level, saying, okay, well, let's make sure we're doing good messaging, we're doing good instruction, we're getting good retention. Um, we just had such great help from across the institution, from the financial aid office, from again, the student support staff, what what kind of resources do you need? And so with that, I guess the, the last thing, we may talk about a little bit more about this later, but the HSI Council here at Mount Mary has also been very intentional about making connections with the HSI now. So this is the network of, of schools, you know, such as Marquette and Gateway, Alverno, even Carroll, you know, some of these schools that really want to become HSIs we are right in the middle of networking with these institutions about best practices. And just a, a little tidbit, Gina, that's how I met you. I, I, I met you just, I kind of, you were, you're um, 2020. I think you came to Alverno and you're the keynote. And I'm like, this, this woman has some passion and some power. And so I was so happy to be part of, of that advancing equity conference. Um, I gave my little talk, but I think I was really there to hear more experts like you. So that's that's what we're doing here at Mount Mary in terms of the you know the organizational level. We have a great strong cross community organization that um, is yeah looking to spread the word here um, and and just outside of uh, campus in this this really vibrant Milwaukee community. Thank you for that memory. I remember that conference distinctly. It was one of those spaces that I entered that I could feel the the good vibes right the good energy that was going on and that is going on right in the Milwaukee area in Wisconsin so uh yeah I love that and that was right before COVID it was one of my last public keynote lectures um before we shut down for a while so right, yeah, that was, was, that was February right just before mm -hmm. yeah that's crazy 
Mm -hmm. I think I had one more or two more after that. Like I was doing a tour at that point. Um, And then, yeah, no more, no more in person, but yeah, it was, it was great energy. So we'll come back to HSI um, now, but let's hear a little bit from Vanessa um, about this multilingual strategic plan that you lead at Mount Mary, which promotes best practices inside and outside the classroom under the HSI philosophy. I love just the name multilingual strategic plan. So tell me, what is that? Thank you very much. Well, um, as you can see, there is already a structure in Mount Mary. And then they receive a grant. And with that grant, what they call Proyecto Descubrir. And it was embedded in STEM. So they were looking to attract uh, females of color into the field. Uh, At the same time, and it was very interesting how they start merging other initiatives from other departments. For example, for the writing department, they were doing the um, writing trauma um, workshop. And um, there was another project about storytelling. Uh, There was another one about financial skills. But there was something that was still on the table that was the multilingual aspect. And um, so the only thing that they told me is that they need somebody to support the students across campus. So with my previous experience and based on the community, I envision a strategy, not only inside the classroom, because we believe that language support should be only inside the classroom, but no, I mean, the, multi, the, the multilingual support or the linguistic support should start when the first time the student requests information. And you walk the student in that journey all the way to the very end when they receive the diploma. And that's, that, in that sense, I could see that um, as one of the, uh, the steps that I would love that, that I'd envision about this, uh, this, this program. So when I arrive, I start doing my research. Uh, I think I interviewed over 30 people. I was asking them what what kind of relation they have with the multilingualism in this in the in the campus uh, and their experience. And it was very easy to identify the strengths of the community that I have said we have a lot. And what are the areas of opportunity? At the same time, I also was reviewing what other universities in Wisconsin were doing and other HSIs across the country that are very similar in size and population. Um, and once I have all that information, uh, I think in that sense is what I've seen in K-12 that can be transferred to higher education. And the first thing that I want to say that I have on my my theoretical framework based on critical pedagogies. And yeah, I love Paulo Freire. I love Bell Hooks, <laughs> Sandy Grande. Uh, I love all this, uh, um, of course, Gloria, Gloria and Saldua. <laughs> and, but because of my experience in teaching bilingual dual language programs, ESL programs, my approach is very close to how we acquire, how we learn a language. So my perception of education is very close to one of these definitions that I would like to read 
Uh, I found this definition in a manual uh, of the ESL students from Canada. And it says, communication in its broadest sense is the goal of education. So communication in the broadest sense is the goal of education, regardless of first or second language or first or second culture, we build on already existing skills and culture and linguistic diversity. So my mission is promote structures that let the student de deliver this communication process. But when we talk about communication, we need to talk about language, right? And uh, I don't know if you remember this uh, little um, frame that we use in high school, the sender, the message, and the, the receiver. Uh, well, for me, it's also one of my, my uh, foundations, right? Uh, and 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 I was thinking about this little model. So you have the the, the sender who is en encoding a message. I mean, is producing a message, and there is a person, a student who is receiving the message, right? So we have this uh this um this process, right? If we just leave it that process that way, it would be very close to uh, the banking model of education, right? <laughs> Where the teacher just deliver information and the students receive the information. Uh, what we want and what the constructivism said is that the student uh, is in charge of constructing the knowledge. And for doing that, they need to socialize with other peers. So the level of skills, the linguistic skills that they need, reading, writing, listening, and speaking are more sophisticated. So inside the classroom, this is like, for me, very simple to say, oh, we can use some strategies that prof the professors can use to promote language, right? But at the same time, we can use this idea of delivering a message from people that works outside the classrooms. Um, so that's probably one of the things that I start using as a framework, right? So how can I, how can, what is education and what is language? And we receive students that can, that are proficiency in one language only. We have students that are proficiency in two language. We have students that are very good in listening and speaking, but they still are not quite there in writing and reading. And we have a variety of students with different skills. Now, our multilingual students can be international students and we require TOEFL or any other exam. Our students, our multilingual students are coming from K to, from high school, we don't really require anything. So we don't know the proficiency level of those students. Um, and it doesn't matter if they are bilingual or not. Um, there are studies that say that a high percentage of students that arrive to college, they are struggling understanding complex texts. There are more research about the, the amount of words or the size of the vocabulary regarding your 
uh, family, your socioeconomic status, uh, how exposed you were uh, to literacy practices at home. So how are we going to deliver this? So in my... so in my um, mind, uh, I knew that we need to foster the idea of an educator that also, besides delivering the disciplinary content, promote, promotes language um, through the cultural response pedagogies. So it's not only that he is sending the information, but he is start the conversation by asking the student who they are, where are they coming, what is the language, what are the passions, what are they are all those experiences that Paulo Freire described. That's what we need to rescue as a professor to start developing our lesson plans. Right. And I think that goes beyond if we speak English or, or, or Spanish or French or Mandarin. Because what you do is center the attention to the human. And then you need to be creative as a professor to implement this information inside the classroom. So, so when we start uh, delivering this uh, um, this idea among the professors, they like it because it seems like they had some feelings about how to do it, but put it a name and the steps to do it, it was a sense of release, right? So that's why we receive a really good feedback from that, uh, from those workshops that we delivered. And then the other big area that we have in this plan is the systematic support across campus. And here it was a lot of, there is a lot of intersectionality with the students' affairs, which they have a retention plan. So that's very important how we are going to start uh, merging efforts there with the uh, DEI and mission um, office. Uh, we have been working with the deans and with the chairs and with marketing. And based on all the work that we have done, um, I was voted to become uh, the member of the strategic plan committee, which is led by the president and the cabinet. So I think all the work that we have been done, can I feel that it's going to be sustainability. So, and finally, how we are going to maximize the resources, that's the other area of the multilingual plan that we develop. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I have so many questions. <laughs> But I won't ask them all, but I do have a lot of questions. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think it's it's well thought out and, and you laid it out. So like, you know, so like in these different steps. So so thank you for that. Um, one question I do want to ask, which I think is related to the culture classroom and multilingual learners workshop, which I, I wanted to ask you about too. It, you mentioned faculty, right? Um, so are the faculty that you're working with, they are multilingual? Like, are could they be monolingual and work with multilingual students? I, I'm thinking of HSIs as having predominantly white faculty, which doesn't mean they're they're monolingual, but maybe <laughs> um, predominantly white faculty. How do they do this work, right? Are, is, are you working with monolingual faculty? So yeah, tell me a little bit more about that. That's the beauty of these campus. No, 
we do not have uh, too many Hispanic or bilingual professors. Um, this is a methodology that has been used in many other unrepresented groups like the first uh, Native Americans. But they also try to rescue the cultural power and the Horacean. So, so no, that's, a, that's, a, um, the majority of our staff is white and they are very open and they are, they have that commitment. They have, I would say, in words of uh, Paulo Freire, this political clarity to take the steps. Uh, so I think it's one of the strengths that we have as a campus, as an institution. Um, and they they see themselves using this inside the classroom, but also outside the classroom. Because once you have that connection with the student, it's easy to move outside, to become a natural, uh, an organic mentor with the student, to create initiatives with the students. Uh, so no, that's the beauty of this methodology. And this is probably um, one of my ambitions. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter what language you speak. That's the human, the center of the process. And what you want is to develop an experience using your communication skills, right? That's what is a multilingual workshop. Yes. Okay. I can't wait for you to publish it. I imagine it's going to come published eventually with your dissertation, maybe. Um, but it sounds beautiful. Like we could really, you know, utilize it. Uh, did you want to say anything more about the culture classroom and multilingual learners workshop? Cause you mentioned it, but didn't really go into detail about it. Well, um, most of these strategies are strategies that we use in K-12 to develop vocabulary to develop uh, grammatical structures, uh, to walk the student from these simple sentences to complex discourses and produce them, but also understand them. Uh, so, uh, so the cultural response pedagogy is basically the sensibility that the professor or the educator have uh, in relation with the student's culture, life experience, sexual preferences, religion. It's, so you use that as part of your lesson plans and your instruction. Mm -hmm. okay. If I can just jump in too real, real quickly, I was fortunate enough to be part as a, I was, I took this course that the, uh, this uh, workshop that Vanessa led and I can, I'm, I'm bilingual. I'm working hard on my French and, and, you know, I can some greetings in different languages and Portuguese. But what was really obvious to me amongst faculty taking these workshops was that we need to come to terms with, you know, our differences. And the cultural humility that came out of these workshops was just eye-opening. We want our students to succeed. We want to see them graduate. We want to see them go into wonderful careers. But to, to have that, we need to take a step back. And like, so when I launch into it, here's my syllabus day one. Is everyone getting that? Are we linguistically using words? 
Are we presenting information in ways that's culturally appropriate to students that come from such a plethora of not only Latina backgrounds, but also we have Hmong students, we have Chinese students, we have, you know, all these different um, classes. And then these, these workshops spawn conversations. And I'm not even sure Vanessa was ready to, like, there was a wonderful talk um, in a hallway about dialects. And so on the one hand, there might be Spanish, English, but what about that Spanish that's spoken at home? That's not what you see in a textbook. What about the English that's spoken, you know, here and not there? So there, the, the conversations and the, the more questions came out of these workshops that were just so valuable, I think, to all faculty and even staff across the institution. So it was super, super valuable. I was a big cheerleader of that, that workshop. Yes. Like I said, I can't wait for you to publish it and share more because I think it, it's, it is that like the, so yes, faculty, we know at HSIs are predominantly white. Again, doesn't mean they're predominantly English speaking, but we probably, right? Like a, a lot, largely English, you know, or monolingual speakers um, in HSIs. So that have to learn how to serve multilingual people and people of color and Latina people. Right. Um, and y'all are modeling that, right. That like, you can train your faculty to serve multilingual people without even being multilingual themselves. And part of it is, Jason, you hit on it, is letting go of your own insecurities of like not being multilingual, right? Um, and 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 centering humanness in your pedagogy. So that's what I'm hearing from y'all. <laughs> so I, I, I think I got it, right? Um, which I think is beautiful. And we, sure. we need so much more of that in HSIs. I agree. I agree. And, and, and HSI should be then be the model for all institutions, right? Mm -hmm. This is the kind of servingness that a higher ed provides. It's, it's really good. For sure. We should be HSI. That's my dream that HSI has become the model for actually serving diverse multilingual people, <laughs> right? Like we could be the models. Um, so another thing I wanted to ask about, uh, like I said, I had so many questions with, uh, with the multilingual strategic plan. Another thing you said, Vanessa, was that, um, there was also outside of the classroom, right? And, and so I'm picturing like the wraparound supports. You mentioned student affairs. You mentioned retention. Um, those are out of the classroom. Student affairs is typically the, the co-curricular, right? The out of classroom, the student support services. Um, so how do your support folks that are not faculty come into the, to the plan? How are they uh, leaning into this? And or are they more likely to be multilingual? We're seeing that with staff. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, right? Yeah. Um I think the idea, first of all, we need to start creating a culture around HSI. I remember the first time uh, I was, uh, somebody sent me a, a questionnaire uh, about what are the relevant topics uh, for the university. And it happened that people said, what is an HSI? Right? So when we talk about outside of the classroom, we're talking about that. We need to inform this the the, the people, what is this about? And this is another important thing. So the workshop, it doesn't work by itself, right? Because you know how we are. We learn the strategies, but then sometimes we use it and sometimes we forget about them. So there should be a culture and there is this constant communication with the community about HSI. Um, for example, for this uh, year, we are going to start uh, having an exercise, I call an exercise where all the faculty and staff is going to be there and we are going to open a space to use our critical dialogue about 
what is our mission? And this is you. This is your book. <laughs> what is your mission of the purpose of my purpose in that matter as a, a person that works in the front desk, a person that um, cleans the offices? Uh, we are a community. So what does that represent? And I think that's when I talk about outside, right? We don't want to lose that um, human center approach. And that's why we need to create this. I really believe in creating spaces so people ca can talk and discuss. Um, so that's the first thing that we want to do this, uh, um, this year. And then we have another workshop that is focused on practices more for the staffs that for the professors. So it's going to be like the second layer of support, right? And again, this is also, there is an intersectionality with other offices, right? Um, and then at the end, I was, uh, we, we are going to, we are having conversations to, to have a conference in summer related to HSA. So this is the constant communication that we need to create, receive feedback, listen the ideas, and then reevaluate. So that's, that's probably what we are doing. So that's why for me it's very important to talk about language because every time that we talk about Latinos, we say culture, language, and uh, ethnicity. Yeah, but what is language? And we need to rethink the conceptualization of language in our community and in this country. Language is another door, door to another world, right? And we don't need to be afraid when you're in front of a language, a different language, and you don't need to be ashamed that you speak Spanish or that you are an ESL student. Or as I said, I am a ESL professional, <laughs> right? So the messages are there. We need to just to create the environments and the con and contextualize these uh, uh, these conversations, and to hear uh, from uh, learn also from the community. Okay, I'm loving it. I want, I want, I, like I said, I just want more. I'm like, tell us, write about it, share it with us. Um, the other question that comes up for me, um, cause this is so complex. Y'all are unpacking the complexity of doing what I call, as you know, Vanessa, the linguistic serving this, right? I wrote a 500, 800 word blog, you know, made it sound really simple, but it's not that simple. Um, and one thing, um, you know, that I'm also wondering is like, how do you, how are you, is this plan and these efforts y'all are, are thinking through, are they also serving the monolingual people or the people like Jason um, who wanted to learn more Spanish? Same with me. I, you know, my parents are bilingual Spanish speakers, but I had to actively learn because uh, English was still the dominant language in our house, right? Like, so are you, are you, how are you serving those folks? Because there's many of us, right? Pocho, pochas, no salvo kids, right? We're called all kind of things. Um, how do, how do you serve us who also are embarrassed, right? When we don't feel like we're adequate, um, linguistically. So does that come into your plan too? I think for sure. And the, again, being part of that workshop opened my eyes to how culturally responsive some of these methodologies and pedagogies are, where you're thinking, okay, well, so when I 
So in the Spanish department, I'm evaluating students coming in from all backgrounds. Every single student coming to Mount Mary, I check their transcripts. Here, you've made the world language requirement or you didn't make it. And here's my recommendation. But I look at such a spectrum of different abilities and what the workshop and the multilingual approach, strategic approach does is built upon the students. Is it foundations of knowledge? It builds upon what they have already, regardless of where they're starting. We're going to get you higher and higher. It's, it's, it's linguistic mobility. And, and I think the servingness that we, that we are employing that we're working on improving really comes from again, what Where's the student now and how can we make it better? So it's it's really important, I think, to recognize the differentiation between students. I like that you said linguistic mobility. Yes, me too. <laughs> so we are moving out from the what Gloria Saldua said, the, the, the linguistic terrorism, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. In the direction. I love it. Linguistic mobility. Because, you know, HSIs, they right now are very focused on economic mobility, right? They're like, we are good at economic mobility. What if they were good at linguistic mobility, right? Like that, I love it. You just coined it right here. We going to shout it out. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I oh, know, that, that's for sure. Yeah, that HSI, and, and that aligns with even my thinking around the liberatory outcomes, which is in the book, right? Um, you mentioned the book, Vanessa, um, the liberatory outcomes, right? That that is liberatory to be able to be linguistically mobile. That's amazing, right? What if HSIs embraced that? Like, that would be so beautiful. So... Oh, this conversation is so good. I, I like I said, I want to just keep talking, talking, but you know, well, I'm gonna start to pull us in, ask a couple more questions. Another thing that I mentioned in that um that blog about linguistic servingness was um paying bilingual educators on our campuses. And that was a hot topic. Like when it was shared on LinkedIn, that was actually the line that was being re retweeted or re whatever LinkedIn calls it. Um, but it was being retweeted, right? Like, yes, pay us. And it was the people who are bilingual saying pay us to be bilingual because we're serving families, we're serving students, we're serving communities. And we're walking by random meetings where y'all pulling us in because we're bilingual. <laughs> we don't even know what the meeting is, right? Like there's a lot of, there's a huge tax. We've talked about people of color tax. This is a bilingual, multilingual tax, right? For people that are, are multilingual. Um, so tell me about that. How, how are y'all dealing with that about asking people to serve <laughs> in multilingual ways, but right. knowing that it, it's a skill? Yeah. Oh, it, it's, it's such a skill. And again, maybe it's the, Maybe I'm at the right place at the right time. What happened many years ago when I first started on the HSI Council at Mount Mary, um, Google Translate was on its ascension and everyone was like, oh, Google Translate this and that. And I said, please just, just take a minute and, and listen. Um, as a professor of language, as, you know, being in multi, multi, multilingual communities, I realized what we need to do is if we're going to message what we do at Mount Mary, It has to be us doing that translation. And they're like, oh, good, Jason, you go ahead and do that. I'm like, wait, wait, what, what, what did I say? <laughs> and so it, it, for me, I was fortunate enough to make it part of my professional development. So it got recognized for me professionally. Now I think about financial aid office. I think about student staff and like, oh, we need someone to translate because we have a visitor. We have parents. We have this message we want to send out for a welcoming day. How do we do that? 
And we started recognizing the need to recognize that financially for those of who of the community who couldn't get recognized professionally for it. So monetarily, if we think, you know, student workers, that's a that's a really good example. There are three different tiers for a student worker, and tier one's the basic, a little higher for more skills. But we're I'm happy to say that top level of pay for a student worker, even though it's it's really, you know, it's 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 not that great. But if you're multilingual, if you're bilingual or multilingual, you get paid that top rank. Now, what's even better is thanks to our Title III um, grant, we're actually able to make that even more lucrative for our students who are doing this messaging of we are, or I, I am Mount Mary, right? Yo soy Mount Mary. These students are getting paid double what the normal typical federal student worker rate is because that way we compete with Target. We compete with where they might go if it's getting a job off campus. So we're starting to realize the need with students to get paid. And then the next step is hiring faculty and staff and more people saying, we're going to recognize this multilingual um, ability power that you have because that's how we address the needs of our evolving institution, right? So I'm, I'm all for that. Now at smaller institutions, Small private institutions, I don't think it's anything radical to say that that's a struggle. You know, pay for faculty and for staff is, is, it's tough to come by. And minimally, we need to recognize that if you're going to be pulled in for a meeting or if you're going to be pulled in to address a parent or some community member that might only speak a different language, you need to get recognized paid or recognized, hey, this is a bump up in your salary, or you're going to get that check mark on your performance evaluation that it can get recognized. But that's where we still need to do some evolving, I think, in higher ed about recognizing the need, but also the humanity and multilingualism. Absolutely. It's a work in progress, but I'm glad y'all are thinking about it. Even to say, oh, you know, for sure we're starting with students and then we're moving up to staff, right? And then when does it get to faculty, right? Like that, like everybody should be compensated for um, the things that we're asking folks to do, which is respond to the student population that's at HSIs. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Thank you for giving us some ideas in that way. The other question I want to ask y'all about is this idea of um, helping students to be multilingual in their professions, that's another thing I talked about in that blog. I'd love to hear y'all's thoughts on that. Like if you're going out, I always use nursing as an example, right? Like if you're training nurses, let's say, I don't know if y'all have a nursing program, right? But nursing to be bilingual, maybe in your home doesn't mean you know how to speak nursing Spanish, right? So how are y'all addressing that, right? That the professions have specific Spanish and multilingual needs. No, that's, that's definitely something we recognized and we do have a nursing program. And it is, um, so coming from the humanities, I'm like, oh man, nursing's getting all this attention, these students, and this is great. It's needed. I know for our community, we need more nurses that are, that are multilingual. And it was, it was interesting at the time, the, the dean, um, of sciences and the chair of nursing said, Jason, we want to make this an inclusive space for our nurses. So this new wing for nursing, they said, here's a, here's a fragment of the nursing mission statement. And when students come in here, can you please translate it to Spanish to make it meaningful? And so it's on the walls. Here's part of the mission statement for nurses. But then I said to, to the dean and at the time, and I said, you know, nurses don't just speak Spanish. 
can you get it in another language? And right, we have an increasing population of Hmong students. And so they, they found someone to translate part of that, that same fragment of the mission statement, really meaningful part into Hmong as well. And so getting students ready for their professions, at least in the, in the, the world language department that I'm chair, we have specific classes. We have Spanish for social work, Spanish for business, and Spanish for healthcare because it's, it's nursing, but it's also, it's mental health. It is so many, you know, it's diet. Um, we have a dietetics program here at Mount Mary. These are the messages that need to be sent out in multiple uh, languages. So when I, you know, talk to the dietetics program, like, well, we can find an internship. Do you have a Spanish proficient student who can go into the community and, you know, get part of their dietetics degree done while doing it in Spanish? Uh, occupational therapy is another one where there's just such need for multilingual, um, you know, starting off Spanish, that's the most present language at our HSI, but we also are a minority, we've been minority serving institution for many more years and languages, multi-languages are so needed in the professions. And it's, it's a big, Ooh, can we get more of that type uh, attitude here? So that's, that's a real positive to think about how we we professionalized language to get students to be competent in, you know, like you said, you know, you might know how to talk all about food, but can you treat that person when it comes to, you know, to medicine, you know, we need to be very culturally and linguistically proficient. Yes. And also relieve the language brokers in the family, which are like the 10 year olds, right. That are like translating legal documents, right. It's like poor little 10 year olds. For sure. sure. That's, that's an equity issue. You're exactly right. Such an equity issue. So the other question I wanted to ask was about the HSI Now initiative, which you you mentioned a little bit, Jason, but let's go ahead and, and, and wrap it up with also thinking about Wisconsin. I always like to, to bring us to the context. Y'all are doing this work in Wisconsin. And, you know, me and my, I, I'm from California. I spent all my life there. I always have a California lens. I think none of the other states matter, <laughs> right? But they do. I have been in Pennsylvania for 10 years. Um, right. And I'm like, Wisconsin? There's no Latinos in Wisconsin, <laughs> right? Like, what are y'all talking about? So, so. Tell me a little bit about the the environment for doing HSI work in Wisconsin, in Milwaukee, and how HSI Now Initiative is addressing some of that. Right. So the HSI Now, the Hispanic Serving Institution Network of Wisconsin, you know, there's your your acronym, and it is such a powerful collaboration. Um, it's been a way for me to reconnect with Marquette University. It's been a way for me to to get to know more in depth the initiatives going on across. Wisconsin, but primarily Southeast Wisconsin, where we have the population, where we have the students, where we have the community connections to really build. And so it's, it's wonderful too, to see the HSIs are leading conversations on advancing, you know, advancing equity in higher education. For example, this HSI network of other institutions, big, like, you know, some of the state schools, the University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee, some of the larger private schools like Marquette, but also some of the smaller private schools like Alverno and Mount Mary are institutions where, you know, we're, we're forefronting communication and cooperative initiatives, right? So there's there was the Advancing Equity Conference I mentioned before. Um, in 2022, I did a webinar called um, Toward Latinx Servingness of Wisconsin Col- on Wisconsin College Campuses. So we talked about service, you know, servingness as one of the things we can do as a collaborative institu- of higher education in institutions. So we 
have done a lot in terms of bringing people together to both share ideas. If you're emerging and you want to work on how do you better, you know, incorporate families into an HSI institution, we talk about that openly. Um, Jackie Black, who's really been just, man, she's just been the rock star in terms of leading HSI now. Um, she's working about a, you know, communities of practice. So what are the best practices going on your campus? Um, we share those ideas. And lastly, I think I'd like to mention that we're really doing great in communication at the very granular level. So this institution is going to have a night where we're bringing in um, the engineering fields. And so one institution will share that with HSI Now. HSI Now gets the word out to all the different institutions. who's like, oh, I can send a couple of students. I can send a representative. And that communication, it brings energy, but then it brings also connections for our students and for my colleagues, right? So, you know, my colleague who's in um, in math might, might want to know more about how to get women into the into the field of math. Well, let's go to this STEM night at this other institution. And we find this stuff out through that HSI Now network. Um, it's just, it, it's such a great energy coming out of that initiative. And we've been fortunate enough to bring people like you, Gina. So it's it's been really it's been really eye opening, but then at the same time, it's aspirational, and it's something I think that will carry Southeast Wisconsin for sure. If not, the whole state will be pushing, you know, just great initiatives going forward um, in terms of language, higher ed, culture, and and that Latine community. Thank you for that. I am a huge fan of HSI now. Um, and, and yes, know Jackie Black very well, have spent much time with y'all. Um, and I want every state to have that sort of really supportive network. And y'all are, are doing it from like a community, right? Perspective, like working with community leaders, working with elders, like, doing it very grassrootsy, right. uh, which I think is different than a lot of HSIs. So a lot of HSIs are very, you know, top down, like the administrators, right. the presidents are like, go get, you know, the things, go get grants. And y'all are like, let's start with the people. Right. And that's really how it started too. It was one person talking to someone else, talking to someone else. Oh, we're a group. Can we meet every Thursday? And the way it built was so organic and grassroots that I think that's why it's going to stay. And that's why I think it's one of its strengths. Okay. So the last question, you both got to answer. Nobody gets out of the pod without answering the question. ¿Qué pasa, HSIs? Por mi raza hablará el espíritu. So uh, I really believe that uh, one of the strengths as a community is the spirit to uh, to recreate ourselves. And, uh, and that's amazing to see how we are recreating ourselves over and over in this country. I feel bad because I also have a quote, <laughs> but it's, 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 it's one sentence from Gloria Ansaldúa's, uh, Borderlands La Frontera. And there's one point where she says, awareness of our situation must come before inner changes, which in turn come before changes in society. And I think about Mount Mary. We've been conscious raising long before we reach, we reach this federal terminology and designation as an HSI. We welcome our students and our families and we welcome the community to embrace justicia social as part of an identity. So that's, that's, that's que pasa, right? Lo que pasa is we have to embrace this justice first here in ourselves, then our campus, then our community. That's, that's, eso es lo que pasa. 
Thank you very much for being guest today on Que Pasa HSIs. Thank you very much for the time. Yes, thank you so much, Gina.